Hey, this is Michael Boxall and you're listening to Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to a very special edition of the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm your host, Steve McPherson, and I am joined by former MNUFC player, current sideline commentator, host of the Adrian Heath Show, and second place finisher in the spring season of our office fantasy MLS league, Jamie Watson. Jamie, who finished first in the spring season? I didn't think it was going to take you very long to bring it up. But I didn't think that it would be the fourth sentence of the show. I like to I like to hit to start with the hard hitting questions. I knew I know you're famous for that because when I listen to the Sound of the Loons podcast with you and Callum Williams, you always start with some little quip, and I enjoy it very much when it's directed towards Callum. Now sitting in Callum's seat, filling in for him, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it's still too soon. I am. Still sitting in second place. You're in second place right now in the, in the fall season. And I'm sure you're going to remind me who's in first place. Yeah. So you have clearly proven that you are <laughs> the elite fantasy mind in the Minnesota United office fantasy soccer pool. Well, it's completely meaningless, but but thank you. Yeah, but it obviously means a lot. Well, I know because every time, you know, whenever I see you, it's one of, one of the first things you bring up. Absolutely. Talk about, like, <laughs> checking your lineups and who got in or who didn't get in. So I'm still mad at myself this last week. I <laughs> forgot to check international call-ups on Johnny Russell and Diego Rubio. So I was an idiot. I'll be honest. I saw that you had those guys in, and I didn't want to. I didn't. Want to see <laughs> so. You dirty, dirty dog. I, you know, I, hey, you know, you I don't blame you one bit. That's that's completely my fault. And I, uh, I was like, "What's this red dot next to him mean?" I was like, "That's weird." I'll probably <laughs> check it Wednesday before the games start. And I got caught up doing something, and then I realized about 15 minutes into the game after Kansas City had started, I was like. No, yeah, I didn't yeah, check it, yeah. and there was no turning back. So yeah, still, uh, still had a good week. Managed to win the week. Yes, yes, you had a, you had a minus week, two players. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. That is that is a good sign. I mean, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you mess with it too much. I've done that as well. There was a time also with Sporting in Kansas City where I pulled out someone. I think I pulled out someone to put in Daniel Shallowy because I saw. I think it was Russell. I pulled out Russell. I put in Shallowy. Because Russell wasn't starting, and then Shallowy got a red card in the first game of a double game week. That's so he right. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. being like, yeah. "That is like, oh no, so sorry, Steve." But really, I was like, "Yes, come, <laughs> coming for you, buddy." <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, no one actually cares about fantasy outside of the people who are playing it, right? So um, let's get right into the conversation here. Uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is uh, Darwin Quintero, uh, who came in. Uh, has done has been fantastic for the team. Has been out for a little bit with an injury, but we're looking toward his return now uh, down the stretch, and and that's going to be big for the team. For me, I think obviously the the results show um, how important he is to the team, but it, also just in terms of the way the team looks on the field while they're playing. Uh, to me, that has fortified the case for this basically being his team now. Uh, there's there's a lot to like, I think, with uh, uh, Angelo Rodriguez and what we've seen in terms of his work rate. But we've also seen that he's sort of been marooned on that island out there. And there's that that's his role is not to drop back and, and do what Darwin has done. Um, and so we, we see them missing what Darwin brings in that crucial area 
between the midfield and the back line in terms of 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 pushing the game forward. Uh, wh- what's been your take on Darwin? I mean, y- you played midfield, so. Yeah, watching Darwin play, he's one of the most special players I've been fortunate enough to see up close and personal throughout my entire career. Uh, I wish I would have gotten a chance to play with a guy like that. Um, there are certain moments, one guy that comes to mind that had the creative mindset. He didn't have the athleticism to pull it off, but but Clint Mathis, when I played in Real Salt Lake, saw the game differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he would make a pass into space between two or three defenders. And I just look at him and I would say, Clint, I'm sorry. I just, I didn't see it, you know? And right. you could tell as soon as the play was over, it was like the light bulb went off of why did he, uh, Oh, that's exactly what I should have done. Yeah. And there's, so there's very few moments, but, but apart from him and maybe a couple of other players along my career, I didn't really get a chance to play with a game changing player that just sees the game differently now seeing Darwin up close and personal from the side and during training and, and in matches against some of the best teams in the league, he makes the game of soccer look easier, far easier right. than it actually is. Yeah. And see, he's got this ability to see the game at a slower pace. He reads what other players are doing, not just with their positioning, but which way is their body weight leaning. When defenders come into try to defend a 1v1, Darwin does a good job of looking at their hips and where their body weight is. So if they're leaned a little more to the left, ready to defend to the left, he's able to shift to the right side where they're not able to get a push off to defend and it takes the slightest touch of movement by him and he gets past them. He does these little things so well in space and he is integral to this team. And I think you've seen it, 19 games played, I think 10 goals, nine assists in those 19 games. But you've started to really see the importance of Darwin since his injury and since he's been gone and the lack of creativity that that has been there at times for Minnesota United from that role where Darwin played. Mm -hmm. Look, you're not going to fill – it's not a plug in place. It's not next man up with Darwin Quintero. Right. It's we're going to need everybody to kind of pick up because he carries so much weight – on those little shoulders <laughs> that when he steps out of the lineup, you start to see that void. And unfortunately, I don't think enough players so far in his absence have picked up a bits and pieces of the weight to carry it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think that's why the results haven't matched what it was when he was in the lineup. It'll be interesting to see when he does come back though, if he can pick back up where he left off after missing a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the that question of how he improves the players around him, that 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 idea of the guys have to pick it up. It, it almost seems to me like if he'd been here longer and and his role had been more established, maybe those guys would have been, you know, a little more able to fill in some of those gaps of. But they're still learning exactly how he plays. That that story you, you told about, you know, with Clint Mathis and, and him being capable of things that you didn't realize were really possible. It reminds me of uh, a great story about Trent Tucker, uh, who I'm sure you, you know. Yeah, the great Trent Tucker. Yes. So old uh, GT. Yes. So so. Uh, uh, Tuck man. I was, <laughs> you know, role player in the NBA, uh, you know, a Minnesota uh, basketball legend. Uh, and he was, I, I was uh, talking to him once and he was talking about playing with Michael Jordan, um, which he did on the Bulls after he'd been traded from the Knicks. And he told a story about how he w- he had the ball at the top of the key and uh, Jordan was on the baseline and Jordan, you know, gestures up at the hoop and runs and Trent 
he doesn't throw it up for him. To get, no, Mike, like, I know it's too, there. There's too many guys or whatever <laughs> like that. And then he, and then Michael Jordan's coming back down the 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 court after you know they scored or whatever, and he goes up to Trent. And he's like, "Why did you throw me the ball, man? Like I was calling for the alley oop." Trent was like, "Listen." I was on the Knicks. Like, we didn't have guys who could do that. <laughs> you know? so, so that way that a player can sort of break open the game for other players, I, I was sort of, I feel like we've seen the benefit of that uh, with Miguel Ibarra, especially in terms of what his relationship with, with Darwin has become uh, and how a good player like that isn't just good because he is good, but because it makes things easier for other for the other guys on, on the field. And how important do you think that is for his game? It's really important, but I also think, you saw in the first couple of games, uh, look, Darwin had an immediate impact on the score sheet and everything. But I think a lot of the players around him took a couple of weeks to figure out how can I anticipate what Darwin's going to do. Right. And to Darwin's credit, he's so unpredictable and so good with his reactions to things that happen. A lot of times, I don't think Darwin knows 100% what he's going to do, but he goes in the moment uh, there you go. There's a nice little plug for your piece that you do on the website. <laughs> in the moment. In the moment. He reads the game so quickly and adapts so quickly and on the fly that a lot of times he finds himself in these good spots. Like, for instance, the goal against New England, when he found himself in the box with four or five guys, I guarantee you when he received the ball, sideways turned on almost three-fourths of his back was to the goal. He probably wasn't thinking, I'm going to run through a maze of people and score here. Sure. But he takes his first touch. He realizes the defender is late, so he takes a touch by him. He doesn't get fouled, so he's still on his feet. Now the next guy is late. He touches it by him. Now the other guy, he realizes, flat-footed, I'm going to push it by him. Then he gets to that tight angle, and he realizes the goalkeeper's there. I just got to put my foot through it to the far post. Right. And he does. And it hits the inside of the post, and it goes in. And you start going, Wow. I can tell you, when, when he first received that ball, he wasn't thinking, I'm going to dribble four people and score this. Right, right. It just happens. And I think with the teammates around him, Steve, he is now starting to help them change their games and the way they look at games because Miguel Obara, Angelo Rodriguez, you start to look at even Ibsen and Rasmus Schuler, Colin Warner, they're starting to figure out what can I do now to help assist Darwin and okay I see Darwin starting to make a run like this I know he's thinking this or he may most likely do something like this so I need to be in the spot in case he does pass it to me mm -hmm. there was a really quick transition to it but it did take a couple of games so I just wonder when he comes back will that happen again right hopefully yeah. not yeah but I wouldn't be shocked if the first couple of games you didn't see everybody being in sync together uh, another shout out to your favorite band of all time. Sync, yeah. And well, I was always a 98 degrees guy, but you know. I mean, they were clearly the third best of their generation behind the BSB and Sync. But look, no hate, Nick Lachey. I like the, I like the underdogs. So yeah, look, Jeff Timmons. Look, there's a. I'm embarrassed. I probably know all of their names. Um, I'll be interesting to see when he comes back um, this week against DC and Salt Lake. Just how quickly things can pick back up where it left off. Not only for Darwin being as sharp as he was a couple weeks ago but also the teammates around him and their understanding of the game when he's on the field and what he 
is likely to do when he has the ball at his foot. Yeah, I think that it, it reminds me of, um, obviously, soccer. There's, there's a certain amount of uh, formation, which we'll be getting into, and, and structure uh, to how the, the play unfolds in the field. But there's a lot of improvisation, which is essentially what you're talking about with, with Darwin. And it sort of reminds me of um, you know improvisation in music, which I'm, I'm a musician. And so I think that... I've heard you. You're good, I, man. I, I, I try. You what's, know? what's your band's name again? Uh, well... I have a, several bands, but uh, Big Trouble is one band uh, that plays not as much as we used to, but uh, Cabbage Blue is my old band, which was a lot of fun. But we, we started playing out a lot of blues, which was and that, that basis of, I think a lot of times when people think of improvisation, they think of people making stuff up as they go, uh, and that it's sort of about individual creativity. But when you're in a band doing it, you realize it's a lot about collective creativity. Sure. And also... The thing is that you're not making something out of nothing. You're 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 engaging with the repetitions that you've done with the the, the music to create something uh, based on what you what you can see. And so a lot of it is is trying to see every possible situation ahead of time and work on that. And then when the situations present themselves, you react to the situation. And so a thing like that you're talking about with Darwin threading through the defense. He's seen that before, right? He doesn't know exactly how it's going to end, but he's seen that situation before. And so what looks like a moment of of brilliance. I mean, not to diminish its brilliance, but he's worked on it to get to that yeah, point. Yeah, and and it's and it's you've been in that spot before. It's reading of the game. It's the. I wish there was the way that you could take all of the thoughts that go through, and you do a great job of this with in the moment. But it's also very difficult. I'm not saying that my my thought process was as quick as Darwin's because it clearly wasn't. Sure. If it was, I would still be playing soccer. <laughs> what I am saying though is. And it's funny because I I, I even asked uh, Jason Zucker of the Minnesota Wild if this happens to him, and I'll equate the two in just a second. What the first thing I think is is hard to really quantify is there are so many thoughts that happen in your head within real time, which is seconds. And for me, I always wondered is that like that with um, you know other sports, you know. With Darwin, he may say, I've got the ball coming in. It's bouncing off the turf. I took my touch. It's still bouncing a little bit. This defender's reaching, but his leg's a little bit off the ground. So my next touch needs to go downwards so it can go under his leg and pass him. I know the bounce because I've played on turf. Now I've got my touch. Now I'm facing the goal. Out of the corner of my eye, I can see two defenders. I can't see any shirts that are mine, so I can't really pass at the moment. I'm by myself. So you're starting to see real time. This is maybe a second or two or in real time, but you're already on thought five, six, seven, eight, nine, and they're coming faster and faster. Yeah. And I asked Jason this. I was like, is this just this sport? And this is one of the fastest guys in the NHL. And I'm like, when you're on a on a breakaway from the blue line and no one's even around, how many thoughts would you say from the blue line to the goal before you shoot it do you have? And he was like, probably 25, 30 thoughts. <laughs> right. And it was cool to hear because he was able to say – it's very similar, and I imagine for the better players, the difference in, in, a, in a good player and a great player is they are probably having more and more thoughts, and they're able to process those thoughts quicker and make decisions quicker because at the top level of the sport now, Steve, there's not much difference between people when it comes to size and speed and strength apart from a guy like Darwin on the on the smaller end of the sure, spectrum sure. or Michael Box maybe on the bigger end for the most part everybody's about the same speed everybody's about the same strength who can do it quicker mentally and I think that's what you're seeing at Darwin Quintero is that's his brilliance is the fact he can do it quicker than everybody else 
so Jamie, in terms of talking about um, formation, which is one thing that I've always been interested in. Again, I, coming from a background of the NBA, you got five guys out there, and there, there's ways to array five guys on the court in each play. But there's nothing exactly analogous to in soccer where you have this is the way the guys are spread out on the field, and this is what you can you can get out of these formations. A lot has been made of you know. It's, I know Adrian has has long run the four two three one as his his preferred um, setup. Cal talks about how successful that that can be with the right personnel and how good he saw it be in Orlando um, with Adrian. You know, for a variety of reasons, the teams made the shift to the three five two. Uh, you know, recently and at times uh, during the season, and a lot has been made of what that means and and how it affects the the play on the field. It's something that I think about a lot. Um, what it opens up and 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 how it can be more effective defensively or offensively. But I often sort of wonder, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this as a, as a former player, especially. How much does the actual numbers that you trot out there in terms of, you know, listing those numbers when you announce the formation, how much does that matter game to game? Or is it is it more about players just being in roles that that they can really grab a hold of and, and do the most with? Well, I think it's it's very important, first of all, for the mentality of each individual player that is selected on the game uh, and what they're going to try to accomplish together because the team was set up and a 4-2-3-1 at the beginning of the season because of injuries, because of player personnel, because of guys that were available, sometimes international duty. You lost Francisco Calvo during the World Cup. You know, that was obviously difficult to adjust to. Brent Coleman stepped in, did an incredible job. But more so when Francisco Calvo came back, you had Michael Boxel and Brent Coleman playing really well. Francisco Calvo had just been playing with the national team in this formation that was a 3-5-2, and you saw he was really excelling. You know, before the World Cup, you know, it was a tough period for him, and it's tough for any player that's about to go to the World Cup. It sounds weird because you're like, wait a minute, you're about to go to the World Cup. How could anything be difficult? Yeah. Mentally, your mind is very worried about i don't want anything to happen yeah to, to you're in two places at once you're, you are exactly so, so you've got one foot out the door ready to go to the world cup inherently and i don't blame them because it's the biggest thing that you can possibly do in your career and you've got one foot here with minnesota united and so you're not 100 percent at either place yeah and so it was a tough spot for him since he's come back i think you've seen now he's fully committed and he's fully here, and you've seen a night and day difference in Francisco Cavill. But let's take, for instance, Miguel Ibarra in this shift of a 4-2-3-1 to a 3-5-2. First off, credit where credit's due to Adrian Heath. He had to make the adjustment. I've known him for a decade. I've never played a 3-5-2 with him. Right. And I played for him for six years as a player, known him the entire time. The 3-5-2 adjustment was him having to adjust to what his team gave him mm-hmm. and what was presented to him and what he had available to him. So it wasn't planned, but it was an adjustment that needed to be made. And I think the team was very good within that adjustment. So then he stuck with it, which is not what he probably wanted to do, but it's what his team needed. So he put the team in front of what he would probably like to play the game and how in front of how he'd like to play the game. But going back to Miguel, when the team's a 4-2-3-1, Miguel's most likely playing the outside right or the outside left of the three. Right. He's starting the game 25 yards higher up the field with somebody behind him 
at all times, apart from maybe an overlapping run from Jerry or from Mark Birch, Tyro Mears, whoever it was earlier in the season. You know what I mean? There's there's so many different um, factors behind you that you don't have to have as much defensive liability. Sure. In yeah. this 3-5-2, when you say today's lineup is a 3-5-2, yes, you have help in the form of Michael Boxel, maybe as that right center back, but you don't want Michael Boxel getting pulled all the way to the line because if he does, Brent Coleman has to shift, Francisco Calvo has to shift. Now there's a big gap on the other side of the field. Yeah. So defensively, you're starting deeper because you you don't have somebody behind you. You don't want to just leave a big gap behind you. Mm-hmm. So now mentally, you're thinking, well, I also have to be very responsible. Def- I have to be responsible defensively and make sure that I don't get caught out of position with my defensive responsibilities and duties. Right. But I'm also relied upon in the attack. Part of the reason I think the team was able to do a 3-5-2 and be successful was because Miguel Abar is so fit and has the engine to be able to do it. If he's not on the roster and he's not as fit as he is and he doesn't have the characteristics that he does, I don't think Adrian could switch to the 3-5-2. Yeah. There's very few teams that can do it because that is the hardest position in soccer yeah is to be one of the outside guys in a 3-5-2 that goes back and forth the only other team i think in mls that was ever really good at it was the 2003-2004 iteration of the new england revolution when they have steve ralston on one side who could just mm-hmm. go up and down and i'm struggling i think it may have been like joey franchino i think maybe was the guy and i don't even think that's the right name i'll talk to the stats people we don't yeah, have a whole well, staff yeah. here that'd be great yeah let's just look that <laughs> Look up stats. Look that up right now. But I, I, I do, I, I do remember that being about the last team in MLS that was able to do that because they had the right personnel to do it. And Adrian Heath saw that in Miguel and saw that in the players that were available to him, and he was able to do that, make yeah. that adjustment. And you were, you saw some success in it. Yeah, yeah. I think you've seen that. Uh, I mean, I think all you really need to do is 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 look at the the other side of the field, at the other the other half of the three five two here for us. That to see that there's. I mean, I think there's been moments that it's been really successful, but you've obviously, you know, Adrian has had to make that dis- that choice between um, going with Eric Miller, who's more defensive minded, or you know, at first working with Alexi Gomez, who's more offensive minded, and you see you saw that when. When uh, Alexi was forced into having to fall back on defense, it could be a problem sometimes. Eric going forward is not as much of a, of a problem. Uh, it, it's not this, it doesn't create problems the same way. But you can see that he's it's a little tougher for him to feel confident going over that midfield line and going into the attack. He does it, you know. And there's been he's had he, he had a near assist uh, that was fantastic. That was called back, but that was that that he didn't get the credit for. But um, but yeah, Miguel's ability to just go up and down all day. Uh, and do that work has been, you know, really incredible. And so it's one of those situations that I think in some ways it's really unlocked his potential. And as you said, I give Adrian a tremendous amount of credit for sticking with it. Uh, You know, I think that it's easy for coaches in any sport to have to be dogmatic about what they're going to do. They're saying, like, this is how I, I see things. And to some extent, I really respect that when there's a coach who this is the this is the system that they want to play. They want to get the guys to buy into that system, and they know that when that system is bought into, it can be incredible. But Adrian had to look at the personnel he had available, the situation he was in, see the successes that were that that were coming with the three five two, and not stick to his sort of rigid like this is how we're going to do it. I thought I thought it showed a lot of flexibility, and I really I really admire that. Yeah, I did. Just looked it up. It was Jay Heaps was the name I was okay, looking for. Okay, all right, good. Yeah, I don't know how I missed that one, but uh, that. 
You're absolutely right. The point you make about Eric Miller, and, and you got to also remember too when this shift was made to the three-five-two. Jerome Tison was hurt. Tyrone Mears was hurt. Eric Miller was hurt. Mark Birch. Mark Birch was hurt. Yeah. So all the depth you had at both right back and left back were hurt. So you've got that. This is what I'm talking about. These these are this is diving deeper deeper into what I was saying about because of the injuries and because of what the team was giving you. Well, the team was giving you four injuries right. to outside backs. And then it was also giving you three center backs who were playing very well at the time. Right. Calvo, Boxel, and Coleman. So then you start going, okay, well, Alexi Gomez, he's not a left back per se. Can he do it? Yes. But he he does have questions about the one on one defending. Yeah. yeah. Hey, look, at my in my career, I was asked to play outside back. And that experiment ended quickly because <laughs> right. the one v one defending right. yeah. is a very difficult, it's a highly specialized skill people spend years perfecting. Yeah. So Alexi Gomez now has the ability, like Miguel, to get forward and get back. He's got the cover of Calvo, who can cover, who has a lot of range and can get over there. So that's what the team's telling you now. You've got Alexi Gomez, who plays the hybrid left-mid, left-back role, Miguel Abar doing the same thing, and three center backs who are playing very well. Well, fantastic. That's what the team's giving you. Yeah. You'd, you'd, be, you'd be stubborn to not say this is what we need to do if you just – didn't recognize that or notice that or acknowledge that this is what the team's giving you. And to Adrian's credit, he did, and he made the adjustment. And guarantee it wasn't preferred, and it probably won't be preferred going forward. But for yeah. this 2018 season, you have to say him and his staff did a good job of adjusting on the fly to what the team gave you. Now, when you look at it next year, you don't want to play a 3-5-2 when you get Kevin Molino back. And Ethan Finley back. Yeah. And you've got Darwin and uh, Angelo Rodriguez. They're doing better. What if Fernando Bob comes in and he's the answer at the number six? Yeah. Well, then in the four, two, three, one, there's one of your two. Hey, you also got Rasmus Schuler, starting Finnish international Rasmus Schuler, a guy named Ibsen, Colin Warner, who's filled in admirably and done really mm -hmm. well this season. Mm -hmm. A lot of unsung, no, no press about it, goes about his business. Now you're looking at some depth there, and you start going, these players really fit the system. Yeah. Okay, it's taken a little bit longer to get there, and it took recovery from injuries to get to the preferred formation. But are we there? Start of 2019, Allianz Field, healthy players back, depth at positions. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Don't, now all of a sudden we're looking good. Don't spoil my next segment, Jamie. Well, this is, I, where, we're, this is where we're going in a minute. I'm gonna ask you one more one more thing about this. Fantastic. Let's dive. I, I love this is what I love about the sound of the loons is you can dive deeper. That's exactly right. You have the ability to, and I want to, Steve. Yes. Okay. So this is sort of a chicken and the egg question. Um, it's a little more theoretical, and obviously not all of this is this isn't all up to Adrian or the players. There's a lot of the pieces that go into making decisions about the team, but. Do you think it's overall, do you think it's more important to find, go out and find players who fit the roles that you envision the team having? Or is it more important to fit the roles to the players you have? Like, how do you make that judgment about we need to get this guy? Like, I think Romario Barro is a good example of a guy where they were they were pursuing him, they wanted to get him, they got him, but at a moment when suddenly his position is not it 
it, they don't have that position because of yeah, the three five. That's that's example. exactly. So, Romario Barra was scouted for that reason. Right. Exactly. So what's the? How do you how do you make that decision about trying to find guys that fit roles you want them to have, and how do you say? These are the guys we have. These are the roles that they can do. Fantastic question, Steve, because that is exactly why Romario Abara was so sought after in the system because in a 4-2-3-1, he's perfect for it. In that spot, he's going to be great in that position. But right now, because of what the team was was presented with available players, you had to sacrifice that position. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not as though Romario Abara is not finding the field as he's just played for the Ecuador national team a couple of nights ago, the position of Minnesota United and the needs of Minnesota United called first and foremost for the team to uh, basically field a winnable formation and a a formation that works with the team, not any one individual. And unfortunately for Mario Vara, the way that the team shifted, it just didn't allow him to get a starting spot right away. If it was a 4-2-3-1, I think it might have been different. Right. But that's neither here nor there. That's all ifs, ands, and buts. When the season is going better as far as injuries and player selection is at its premium and and everybody's fully fit and healthy and well, which you, you hope for certainly at the start of next season, at the very latest, plus some additions in the offseason, now you're talking... Four two three one without a question on day one of next year. If you're asking me and what I think Adrian will do, knowing Adrian, haven't played for him, because he will have his full complement of players. Hopefully, more players added into the group, and then you get your full arsenal of, of selection. And then you start to go. Here we go. This team now envisions more of what you had in mind at first, not what the game gave you due to injuries and call ups. Right. All right, so Jamie, there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously people are concerned about the team making the playoffs. Uh, This is one of the things that I think for any team, um, you know, one of the markers of this team is going someplace. If you can go from not making the playoffs to making the playoffs. Unfortunately, it's a very, um, what I would call Manichean situation, which uh, is basically it's black and white, right? Like you're either in or you're out, and it says nothing about the quality of, I mean, you could miss by a point, you could miss by 10 points. It's all the same, yeah. It doesn't really matter. You're either in or out, yep. So, you know, but whether or not, you know, this 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 team makes the playoffs. I'm curious about your 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 sense of how this season is going to be looked at, you know, years down the line. Um, I mean, we still have eight games to go, but based on uh, based on what's happened so far, and then what could happen in the next eight games. So, first of all, you know, how do you see this season being assessed, and then how important do you think that this this stretch run is? to that assessment and how we're going to feel about what's happened this season. I think if you're writing the biography of the 2018 season right now, right. still with eight games left to go, I think you have now proven that there is a core group of players here that can compete in this league, that can win in this league, that can win on any night against any team. And you start to say, adding to that in the offseason – can only make this team get better. You found a team and a fan base that has made playing in Minnesota an incredibly difficult task. Eight home wins on the season. You now see what that will be like at Allianz Field. No disrespect to TCF Bank Stadium. It's been a great home. A lot great, of great memories great hosts, from there. Yeah. yeah. And 
you start to say if it can be that much of a home field advantage in that stadium with those fans, when you shift to your own stadium, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get harder to play against. I expect that those eight wins to be 9, 10, 11 wins next season. Mm-hmm. What you wanted from the 2018 season was noticeable progress and change from 2017, and you saw that. The roster quality has gotten better. I still don't think it's where anybody says this is the final product. It's still a work in progress. The team now is adapting a winning culture at home, still have to fix the road problems. That's still a glaring issue that there's no denying. It needs to get better Mm -hmm. there. But you can start to say that Minnesota United is a team that can beat any team in MLS on any given night. And that was the marked improvement that I think was necessary that needed to be there from 2017 to 2018. The mindset of we know what it's like to win at this league in this in this league at this level. And you know that it's only going to just, the volume's going to get turned up. It's only getting ramped up. The foot's going further and further down on the gas pedal now to try to get better. And I think next year will be the year, if you're ending this book, which still has eight games left. Look, mm-hmm. if you roll off eight wins in a row, which Seattle's done, look, let's let's. Uh, there's a reason it's an MLS record. Right. Chances are that may not happen again for years and years and years. Sure. But if you end the season with, a winning record and you're on the upward trend like you were at the end of 2017 you start to see here's the improvement you're one win away already with eight games left from what you were last season mm-hmm. you certainly hope to surpass that number right especially with four home games left yeah regardless if it's portland it's new york city i mean those are tough games but you expect to win yeah. those games now here at t bank stadium if you continue that trend upwards and you give yourself this offseason to go into and to add to the roster of players and the core group of players that will remain, you start to say it all builds up for 2019 being the year when you say this is the year Minnesota United is one of those six teams in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that the if you look back numbers-wise, they certainly dropped some winnable games early on. You know, against San Jose is, is, is one of the things that sticks out, I think, uh, you know, at, at home especially. Um, they... Uh, lost on the road a staggering number of games versus tying. You know, this is one of the things that you look when you start looking across the league and you see how often teams draw or lose um, on the road. Minnesota United has just lost a lot of games where they should have gotten at least a point out of it. Colorado comes to mind. Colorado is a great example. There's a ton of them that they lost late or they had a lead. They they couldn't hang on to it. And that, that stuff doesn't fix itself. But... You know, if you imagine just taking half those, turning half those straight up losses into into draws, that changes that changes things a lot. I think. Yeah, of course, you grab a point or two here and there. Yeah, and and those are important moments that teams that find themselves in the playoffs. That's what they do. Is yeah, they get points in those games. Right, right. You win at home, you tie on the road. Yeah, and that's why it's called getting a result. Right, because that is a result. Tying in this league on the road. That's considered good. Yeah. And every team, if you win at home and you tie on the road, that's averages two points a game. Two points a game wins you nine times out of ten the league anywhere in the world. Yeah. 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 I think that the other thing about the 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 team as it's constructed now is that, and we touched on this with Darwin earlier, Jamie, that the it it's given the team 
Darwin gives the team a real directionality. Like it gives it a, it yes. gives the team a feel of a way that they want to play. Yes. Uh, like if I look at the the end of last season, uh, I think we had a, a good strong finish toward the end of last season. Um, you know, you saw Abud and Lottie come on pretty strong. He's obviously been hampered by injuries this year. It's been a little bit tough for him, but um, but despite being pretty good. I'm not sure that I felt like the end of last season showed a blueprint of how the team wanted to play. Uh, they had successes, great win over Atlanta in Atlanta. That was terrific. Um, I mean, great, some great moments out of that, but I feel like with, with uh, Darwin out there and then with the idea of, of, you know, Kevin Molino and Ethan Finley returning, I feel like it's giving a shape to, this is how the team wants to play. This is how their, this is what their identity is. And I think, especially in, 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 in this league, you need an identity of this is how we're going to take control of the game. Like if, if your identity is we're going to bunker down, that's one thing. If your identity is we're going to get out there and fly around. I mean, one of the things I really enjoyed about watching when I was out in Kansas City uh, and we were watching the LAFC versus LA Galaxy game, I was like, these teams, I mean, they're flawed, right? They're e they each have issues in certain ways. Um, but you could see the Galaxy, they're big. They want to get the ball to Zlatan. Zlatan's going to sort of control the game from wherever he is and dictate where things go. He's a big guy. They've got a bunch of other big guys. LAFC is a, like a lot of smaller guys, and they're going all over the place. They want to play. They they want to get the movement, passes. A lot of movement. A lot of movement. Yeah. You know, and it's fun to watch those styles clash. And so I think that, you know, I, I hope that what we're seeing right now in terms of the ass assessing the second season is that the team is developing towards a sense of this is who we are. And I think that that's going to go a long way to improving things down the road. For well, yeah, I mean, I think the injuries and the call up, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, about having to change the formation has has hampered the team from really adapting to the 4-2-3-1 preferred style of play. Look, I played in it, and one of the big regrets I had in my career was I didn't have Adrian as a head coach earlier in my career because I feel I would have been 10 times the player as I, as I was. Sure. I, I think I had a good career. I'm happy with what I achieved in my career, but I think I could have achieved so much more if I would add Adrian as my coach earlier on because he makes the game simple, for the team that that the, when you're on his team and it's difficult for opposing teams, there's a reason why his team, when he had all his full complement of players available in MLS, Adrian Heath has the best record for the first 100 games as a coach in U.S. soccer history. Mm -hmm. So he has a system that works with the right players because it allows you to have two and three options at every point in the on the field in the game when the system is being worked correctly. Now, look, the first year trying to play 4-2-3-1, Miguel Labara was a guy all his career was told, stay out wide, you get the ball, and you run. Mm -hmm. If it's a mazy run across the field, that's fine. If it's up and down vertically, that's fine. If it's you start on one side of the field, then you switch to the other side, you create a two-on-one on that side, hey, let the game go. You know, and that was that was a lot of Manny Lagos's coaching style. Sure. Was I'm not gonna overcomplicate things with too much tactics. I'm gonna let you guys be free flowing in a sense and let you guys do what you do best. With Adrian, it's the exact opposite. It was you're you're in this four, two, three, one spot, Miguel, you are expected to be in this pocket of space because if you are in this 10 by 10 area on the field, it confuses if you're playing the right side of midfield in the 4 2 3 mm -hmm. 1 as the as one of the three attacking players you are confusing the left defender the left back the left center back the left mid and the left center mid if you're playing against a 4-4-2 because you're in between all four of those guys now you're leaving it up to am i supposed to go 
as the left defender to cover him, the left back. No, it's too, he's too far away. I can't be out of position. So I'm going to pass him to the left, you know, uh, left center mid. Well, no, he's a little bit too deep now. And if I go back too far, then I'm out of position. The left mid, do I pinch over too far? Tactically, this is very deep in the weeds, but that's what Adrian's system does mm -hmm. is it puts other teams in spots where three and four players have to question, is that player my responsibility defensively? And based off of that reaction of which defender takes responsibility defending Miguel, then the other players on Miguel's team react to it. And that's where if the left back wants to come and step up tight to Miguel and be right up next to him, mm -hmm. well, guess what? There's a big pocket of space for Jerome Tison to run in behind him. Sure. Or yeah. if it's Eric Miller on the day, or if it's Darwin Quintero from the center midfield, that whole outside back position is wide open. If he stays, well, guess what? You played into Miguel. The left, left back didn't come to defend Miguel tightly. Miguel can now turn, and he's now passed the forwards and the, mid, the midfield four. There's six players out of the game immediately. Yeah. It's, there's so many little nuances, but for a guy like Miguel to come in and completely change everything he did up until that point sure. and to learn and to recognize and to notice this is the spot I need to be in, it takes time. Yeah. And you lost three, four months of the season of adapting to that prefer preferred formation because you switched to the the three five two. It, it will still take some time to get that being the understood formation of the group. Um, and I know that's long winded, and I know it's a very in depth, technical, high level thinking of the formation, but. Mm. One, that's the beauty of this podcast. You can do that. You have the time and the the format to do that. I just hope that people realize that there is a method to the madness that is the 4-2-3-1, and it is brilliant when you have the right personnel and you have the right players understanding the system, and it affords two and three options at every point. It is the best system that I've ever played in, and I still think that it's the best formation. It, it's the reason why more teams have adapted to it than anything else. Sure. There's no coincidence. Yeah. So I think that whenever Minnesota United has the time to be able to continue that in a prolonged period of a length of time with the players in that preferred formation, the preferred players within that, they will get better and better. Well, thanks for joining us for the 27th Sound of the Loons podcast. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, Minnesota United's next match is on Wednesday, September 12th. That's coming right up against DC United. I feel like I've been saying this next match for a while now because it's been weeks, but uh, against DC United in the brand new Audi field, that'll be a lot of fun. That match kicks off at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. You can follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Jamie Watson at Jamie Watson 77 and me at Steve Entrus. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.